I think over the next few years, the ultra running community will definitely know her name. So this is kind of a exclusive first interview ever of Sarah House, who I think is uh, an up and coming big talent. So definitely uh, pay attention to her. Check her out on Instagram. Sarah House runs. Definitely support her. I, I think she has big things coming. But enjoy this episode. Shout out to Tannery Outdoors and Exoskin for all the podcast support. Because by fall time, I was feeling pretty, a little bit lost, not having a goal to shoot for. And that was when uh, I ended up sporadically signing up for Bandera because I just got in this argument with my roommate over Western States and then he was like well you should qualify if you think that more women should be in Western States so then um, <laughs> we both signed up for Bandera. My name is Sarah House. I live in Durango, Colorado and I am an artist and a mountain trail runner. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man, so you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? I decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. I'm into it. Okay. To feel the pain of running for a long time. Let's give it a shot. All right. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. That's that's your time to start. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um, my name is Sarah House. I live in Durango, Colorado, and I am an artist and a mountain trail runner. Sarah, thank you for taking the time to join me on the Training for Ultra podcast. I was blown away at Never Summer watching you race, and I know we'll have a lot to talk about just just regarding that race alone, but welcome. Thank you for taking your time. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. So this is kind of like a podcast exclusive, right? Like this is your first interview. This is like before you're, you become famous, right? <laughs> uh, something like that. <laughs> I've always joked that I'm I'm not good enough uh to to interview people like big names. I have to um I have to get the exclusive before it's exclusive. So <laughs> Fair enough. So we met at the Never Summer 100K afterwards. I saw you struggling like getting medical attention or or something to that effect. And I almost don't want to go to that story quite yet, but I want to hear more about your background. Um, how long have you been running for? You know, Where are you from? I know you said Durango is where you're, you're currently living, but I want to hear a little bit more your, about your background. Yeah. So I grew up in New Hampshire um, and I went to college in Pennsylvania 
I went to Dickinson College, just a liberal, little liberal arts school, and I ran Division Three cross country and track there. Um, I guess I was a little, I think I was a little lost throughout my college career. I knew that I loved to run, but I was, you know, not not a standout athlete. Um, and I knew that I loved art, but I felt that I hadn't invested myself enough to make a career out of that either. So I was very buried in academia and that was kind of the path I thought I had for myself. Um, and then I just kind of had this come to Jesus moment about halfway through college where I was like, I just need to do something I enjoy. And I declared the art major, uh, so I ended up doubling in sociology and studio art and um, also got a lot better at running throughout college than I expected to. But um, I think I got really sucked into like that college fast track to trying to be as fast as you can. And I got very burned out. Um, Heard that before. Honestly, That's for sure. <laughs> honestly, uh, so I graduated in 2020. So that was when covid lockdown hit and so my final semester senior year track got shut down everything got shut down and it was honestly this enormous sense of relief that all of a sudden it didn't matter anymore and that was when i really went back to just running for fun and just running on the trails behind my parents house as a way to escape you know being trapped with my family for 24 hours a day and uh, and I was just like painting in the garage and in the basement, just throwing paint at these giant wood panels that I had. And um, I was really afraid of letting go of that stuff. And uh, I still had it in my head that I needed to go and do, you know, have a real job like a normal adult. So I uh, I ended up signing up for this AmeriCorps program. I was working with Habitat for Humanity on their construction site. I thought maybe that would be a path to like get into architecture, or urban planning, or something, you know, relevant to the real adult world. <laughs> and uh, I ended up seeing stations in Vail Valley in Colorado, and. The program was really, I didn't fit there at all, but I loved Colorado. So I ended up road tripping around a lot and hiking a lot and just exploring different places. So I landed in Durango one weekend and I just kind of decided this seems like a good place to land. So I got a job at an ice cream shop and I found an art studio to rent. And uh, after the AmeriCorps program ended, I just kind of lived out of my car for a little while until I was able to find a room for rent that I could afford. And I ended up finding this place on Craigslist that just happened to be with these two pretty accomplished hardcore ultra runners. Nice. And I just kind of absorbed their just everything they would tell me places to run they would tell me about training theory uh and i just devoured everything so it, it was only a matter of time i think before i started to get into ultras and that's kind of where i'm at right now so what what did you specialize back in in college on uh, on the track team was there one or two events or is that school small enough that you got thrown into basically everything or, or what, what events were you doing? 
Mostly, mostly the the five k in track, and during during indoor, I would run the three k. Uh, I never did get into to steeplechase. I just didn't want to learn how to do hurdles. But uh, yeah, mostly three k, five k, and then cross country was always the six k. I mean, long enough. I mean, any distance can be painful, but man, those can be really it painful was- at a college level. I, they, I can yeah, imagine. the 5K really, really hurt. And I remember being terrified before every race. And I think that's something that's something I still wonder about. Like with with ultra running, I feel like the thing that I was most afraid of about running, I just completely avoiding it. And part of me almost feels guilty for that. <laughs> like I'm I'm not facing that fear, but also like I love trails and i feel like i'm much more connected now with the things that i enjoy about running whereas i think i lost that during college i yeah i i've heard it so many times and and that's honestly i mean i i'd say a, a huge part of why people start exploring the trails is to get away from all of that um what what was your base mileage back in college I would usually run, I mean, freshman year, it was like 50 miles and I built up to probably, I mean, between 50 and 65 miles throughout most of, most of my college career. Relatively healthy. Yeah. Not, not like I wasn't doing crazy, like 80 to hundred mile weeks. Like I probably would have been doing in D1. (laughs) Yeah. And so tell me about those first trail runs during COVID, your lockdown, I assume you're 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 staying at your parents' house and trying to escape everyone being locked into like one house. I mean, tell me about those first few trail runs you had. Yeah, I think um Oh gosh. Well, I was tired. So at first I wasn't going very far cuz I was just so burnt out. But um basically these trails I grew up on these trails. Like there's the middle school is like a one mile walk through the woods from my house and the middle school uh, cross country course is back there. So it was kind of, it was almost like a return to childhood a little bit that I was going back to these trails that I had first started running on. Um, And it's, it, um, and there's like this little stream that we would go to and, you know, catch tadpoles and stuff. And, Um, and I started going further and further and I started pushing myself more and more to go up the hills. And I mean, we're, we're talking New Hampshire here. So like there's hills, but it's not, it's not mountains like in Colorado. So I think I felt, I, I was starting to explore a little bit more, but it was still definitely very restricted. Um, and I felt like I wanted to do more. And I think that when I came out to Colorado, there was a chance to to branch out a little bit and to feel like I was having, you know, a real adventure, uh, kind of move past like that childhood stage. I mean, how many times did you fall? Are you just your cadence from track? <laughs> I, oh, I just, got you. You had I, to, I you didn't had to... fall a whole lot. I remember once I tripped, I remember tripping once 
and landing really hard and I messed up my knee for like a week. <laughs> but um I think I had always enjoyed I'd always enjoyed having like obstacles on the trails. Whereas when I ran track in college, I was so obsessed with hitting the same pace every single run. So I could put it into my training log and I could be just as fast as all my other teammates were running, you know, 715 pace every single quote unquote easy run. I wanted, (laughs) uh, I was so obsessed with that speed that I hadn't allowed myself to do anything playful. So, um, so I, I think I, I really enjoyed having those extra little roots and rocks and hills and little things that were not, that were just in the way to me when I was training for track. That's so cool. And just randomly, have you been back to the track since leaving the track essentially? No, I, I, I've been thinking about this to myself, but I don't think I've stepped foot on the track since I ran my last race three years ago. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I'm I'm glad you're finding joy in running again because uh I I've heard a lot of a lot of college runners end up basically quitting the sport. So um Yeah. Like you said, I wasn't I'm probably very lucky that I wasn't good enough to run D one. <laughs> yeah. Because I might have been a lot more burnt out. So I mean, tell me about these two guys, I mean Craigslist, isn't there like a movie like the Craigslist Killer or something? You're, <laughs> you're looking for places to live on Craigslist. Come on, Sarah. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a tough place to find anything, so I was pretty, I was pretty desperate. <laughs> so you don't need to mention their names, but I do want to know a little bit of the background of these these two guys that somehow got you into ultra running. Yeah. Um, so they're both, it's funny cause they're both crazy in their own different ways, but very distinct human beings. One of them is very, he just loves to push his boundaries in any direction he can think of. And every time you turn around, he's training for a road marathon. He's training for, for bad water. He's training for high five, just all of these, every, every single kind of running talent you can think of he wants to do it um and i think well honestly i think he tends to overtrain and burn himself out a little bit so i take him a bit as a a cautionary tale but uh i really admire that he pushes himself in so many different ways whereas my other roommate is much more attached to the mountain uh really in love with the san juans kind of the epicenter of his whole running career is hard rock and that's the number one thing that he really cares about. So, um, and he's, he's much more, I think he's a little bit more balanced about it. And he definitely is the one who encourages me to kind of fill out a little bit and take some time off when I'm getting burnt out because he sees that kind of obsessive tendency and he knows a lot about training theory and has is always shoving books in my face and has taught me a lot about that. He he he's kind of become my my de facto unofficial coach. Um <laughs> so he's been really important for me getting into all the running in that way. I mean that's that's awesome. And 
I'm just trying to think here. So you go from running 3Ks, 5Ks, cross country, all the way up to six. Now, mentally, you come across these guys that are like, you can basically run forever if if you want. It's, you just got to train for it. Um, tell me about your first, I mean, had you done a half marathon? Had you done some kind of big city marathon before moving out here and getting introduced to ultras or... Or what was like no, the I longest distance? You, you... I had run 15 and a half miles by accident because I got lost and I thought it was horrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so the first time I intentionally ran more than like 13 miles um, was when I, I did decide to run a trail marathon. It's my first trail race. It was the desert rats marathon. And, uh, yeah, I remember going for my first 14 mile training run and then my first 16 mile training run and being so nervous. <laughs> um, so that, that definitely was a new and, and scary experience for me. And I definitely had to learn about the concept of running truly easy because in college, I never really ran easy. I was always, always evaluating myself, even on like, the shortest, easiest training days. So it definitely took a shift of mentality to just go out and, and just kill for 14 to 16 miles. What was that experience like? I mean, are you, are you the one listening to music or are you totally focused and meditating no. or, or tell me about what, what it's like out there for you going easy for 15 miles? I, so I never listen to music while I run. Um, I really like just being in tune with, I, I feel like there's already too much noise in my head and running is the time when things are quiet for me. And I really just like listening to whatever sounds are around or just listening to my own thoughts or spinning the same conversation through my head again and again, just, um, having having a sound come in is just too too much i like to let my mind wander and i think actually one of my roommates asked me this question the other day he was like are you a feeler or a floater do you like to focus or do you like to dissociate and i think i think i used to tend to dissociate more when i ran on roads and on the track because there wasn't as much to appreciate but um, running on trails is definitely more meditative for me. Interesting. Yeah, I I would say, I mean, it just almost depends on the type of day, right? I don't know. I yeah. was, I, I, when I was in the best shape of my life, I was meditating and clicking into flow within one mile and just being in flow the rest of the time, basically. Um. It's much harder to find flow when you're out of shape, like I am now. But, um, so that's that's really fascinating. And then, why did you just jump to the marathon distance? What was it about that and not doing, you know, a trail half or or something to that effect? Um, I think. Well. I was looking at doing the half marathon at Desert Rats and then I just kind of thought, why not? 
I just, I think I wanted to do something that was really different. And it was kind of the same mentality I had when I moved to Colorado. And when I moved to Durango, I just wanted to do something totally different and just go in a, in a new direction. Are you scared of failure? Yeah. 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 I'm terrified of failure. That's, but I think that's interesting. I think that I've, I'm aware of that and I've been trying to push back against that more. Yeah. And, and tell me about desert, desert rats, like, um, good race. Was there vert, any big events that took place during that, your, your first marathon? Yes, it was my first marathon. I mean, I think it was pretty it was pretty uneventful. I pushed hard. I came in third. Um, I, it was a beautiful course. I definitely stopped appreciating how beautiful it was about halfway through, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, and, and I remember thinking to myself, would I do this again? I'm not sure if I would do this again, but I think at that point I had already signed up for a 50 K. So I was like, well, I have no choice now. Um, but yeah, I think it was, there wasn't any epiphany that happened that first trail race. But I mean, I, I appreciated the experience. Was it, was there climbing? There I, was a I little no bit. Idea. There yeah. was a lot of fur. And that was when I was still learning that ultra running is basically glorified hiking. <laughs> um, and I was, I was determined to run up every single hill and I, I finally had to give that up on the last, the last big climb. I ended up having like a walk jog battle with the girl who, who came in second. Um, yeah, but there wasn't that, that race is relatively flat compared to like never summer or anything that I've been doing in the San Juans. Yeah. And, and so you had already signed up for a 50 K. I mean, are you enjoying the long, you must've enjoyed it enough to at least go to the 50 K. So you didn't suffer that bad. <laughs> right. Well, well, no, I think I signed up for the 50 K before I ran the marathon. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I, I, I actually got a did little that bit. Same, I swear I did that same thing. That's funny. <laughs> um, and I mean, this is just last year you, you ran your first marathon just I guess it was. It feels like a really, really long time ago. Yeah, is April of twenty two, according to Ultra Sign Up. I mean, and then you got yep. this fifty k, which was almost exactly a year ago, and it looks yeah. like Steamboat Springs. I mean, tell me more about that. That I've so never that heard one, of this race. Uh, I had it was super small. It was just held in this guy's backyard. Like we we finished in his backyard um i think ultimately seven people showed up three of us finished we all got lost in different directions because somebody took down all the core course markers for the last like five miles of the race um (laughs) and i remember oh my car was broken uh so i ended up driving down in this little Toyota Corolla rental and sleeping in the back of that with like my legs shoved into the trunk. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember I couldn't find the guy's house and I was driving around in circles the night before trying to figure out where I was supposed to go. And 
the whole thing was just a, a total, total mess. Um, but, <laughs> but it was super fun. And I loved that, that experience of just um, doing something really low key with just a few people and just kind of shooting the shit afterward. And, um, and yeah, that was, I, I almost wouldn't call it a race. It was more just a really run. fun run. Yeah. Yes. And after that experience, were you like, all right, I'm good for a while? Like, what what was the logic in kind of ramping down? Like, did you do any other events uh, last year? I didn't last year. I think uh, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I think also, I think also at that point, I hadn't been focusing much on my artwork. I wanted to get back to that because there's definitely a push and pull for me between like my creative energy and my energy to go run. Um, and also when I did run, I just wanted to go and slip around in the mountains and just enjoy the views and not be thinking as much about training and I think I think that was good for me because I'm really good at finding things that I enjoy and making them not fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so um I think that was good. <laughs> um so winner in Durango, I assume you were there throughout that. Yes. And so um, oh, go ahead. Oh so well so last winter I um because by fall time I was feeling pretty a little bit lost, not having a goal to shoot for. Um, and that was when, uh, I ended up sporadically signing up for Bandera because I just got in this argument with my roommate over Western States. And then he was like, well, you should qualify if you think that more women should be in Western States. So then, um, (laughs) we both signed up for Bandera. So that was going to be my, uh, my my plan for the winter and then i ended up actually falling in november and fracturing my ankle so then i was out so i ended up spending the next like couple of months once i got off the couch i was on the elliptical and then i did get my first pair of cross-country skis and we ended up having a crazy amount of snow this winter so it ended up being a perfect time to not be able to run and just go go fool around on i on the the forest service roads and go do some classic skiing and that was my cross training but uh yeah that was how my winter went and you you're paralleling with like a lot of really successful endurance athletes like everything i'm hearing uh in terms of signing up for well first of all i can't just forget about this western states is that like still in the back of your head do you think you'll the, still try to qualify? It's in the back of my head. I definitely am not fixated on doing like the thing that everybody else is doing that everyone else is because Western States is such a, it, it seems to be the, the race in the alternate, one of the races in the ultra running world that gets the most attention. Um, so I'm interested in it from the perspective of I want to challenge myself and do something really competitive where I know that I'm going to get destroyed. Um, but as far as like that particular course, 
or that particular race, I'm not really super drawn to it. I think I want to go more in the the San Juan mountain races direction. That's that's really fascinating. I I love that perspective. You're not doing it because you just want a bunch of attention. You don't necessarily like want to just go crush the competition or anything like that. You, you, that perspective well, I don't think is I would healthy. Crush the competition. <laughs> I mean, I think I would get crushed. I I'm fascinated. I don't know. Um, I I might bet on you doing fairly well from what I could tell. But so winner, winner in Durango, you're with these two guys that do tons and tons of ultras. And somehow you find yourself signing up for Bandera, it gets pushed. And then you do a 50 miler in May. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and the buildup? Okay. That was, I think that was my favorite race that I've ever done. Uh, that was the Hamas mountain trail runs. Um, so it's in Los Alamos. It's run by a bunch of guys who work the national lab. Uh, a lot of times they're hard rock actually, but it's very low key. Um, and that, that's what really fascinated me about it was that it doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's a really hard course and some pretty good athletes show up for it. So it was a, it was a really fun place to challenge myself, but also feel like it was still not not that big of a deal and uh i yeah i was super nervous for that race and i remember um the morning before well i was i was hanging out with uh another runner from from durango the morning of and he said to me do you have any big goals for today and i was like if i could hit 10 hours that'd be really cool and I can tell from the look on his face, he thinks that's absolutely ridiculous. And I was like, oh my God, what did I just say? And then I, was, I kind of <laughs> rolled back a little bit and I was like, you know, if I could do 11 like that, that would probably be more realistic. And <laughs> but, um, but then I was like, oh shoot, now I at least have to try. <laughs> and then uh, I'd been also been warmed because uh, one, of, one of my housemates who had done this race a bunch of times was, was there with me and he, he warned me there was a bottleneck at at the beginning. So, um, I, I decided to go out toward the front so I wouldn't get stuck walking in that first mile or so. And so I went out with like the top 10 guys and I thought to myself, Oh my God, what am I doing? I'm going to look so ridiculous. I'm going to slow down and I'm going to look stupid and I'm, I'm tripping over things. And I think I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, I was really freaking out for the first, couple of hours of the race until I was finally by myself. And um, I think that's when I really got into the flow was when I couldn't see anyone else and I was just doing my own thing. And uh, I just kind of went at it and uh, I ended up finishing in 10 hours and 10 minutes, which was a lot faster than I thought I could do. Uh, so yeah, it was, I, I surprised myself. What'd your buddy say from Durango? <laughs> he was, he was, he was like, he was see, impressed. I told you he was, it was he was proud 10 of minutes, me. 10 minutes later than you thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he was surprised <laughs> that I, that I pulled that off. So again, I, I've, I have a weird brain. I have an analyst brain where I can pick up on like trends and just see things. 
I'm very visual, so I relate, and I'm an oil painter as well, by the way. Um, Kyle Curtin finished that race in 915, nine, nine hours, 16 minutes, we'll call it. So again, I'm seeing, I'm seeing Western States, Kyle Curtin can make that connection. He's from Durango. You've probably seen him out there. Um, yes. Well, he, he was the guy I told you about who was talking to that morning. Oh, okay. Um, and then I look through history and I see Darcy, Kate Arnold, um, just some, some names that have done fairly well in the sport over the years. And, you know, you're right there with them. And this is like your first run back after the ankle injury and really your first 50 miler. Uh, I, I see that, I mean, would you say you have maybe some kind of natural gift at endurance and being able to handle pain? Uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) I think, I I mean, first of all, ultras don't, I don't think they, I don't know if pain is the right word. It's just very uncomfortable the whole time. I think that, and I think that I'm just really good at grinding. And that's just kind of the mentality I have is that I just keep going. And that's all you really have to do during an ultra is just keep going. (laughs) I mean, there were definitely times when I pushed really hard, like toward the end, there were a couple of guys who I really wanted to catch and I really didn't want to try and I made myself go for it. Um, but for the most part, it's just about how long can you hold on? And I think that honestly intimidates me less than running like a fast 5k and having to just somehow distill all of your energy and all of this pain into like 16, 17 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's, so I, I don't, I think it, yeah, the way that my brain works seems to align with ultras, but I wouldn't call it a, not a, a gift. I mean, okay. I mean, it's, it's better not to, <laughs> it's nice that you're so humble. I mean, I pull up Darcy's ultra sign up and I see she's run in that 50 miler in Los, Los Alamos and she's won it like basically every year and it's like 10 hours, 30 minutes. Um, let's see 11 hours and 21 minutes. Yeah. Oh, she, well, that year she injured. What's that? Um, and that course changed, that year she was injured when she did the 11 hours and 21 minutes. Um, and that course changes every year too, depending on like permits and stuff. So it's a little bit hard to compare the times for that race. I'm just seeing a, a, you know, a connection there. So I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't write yourself off in terms of your potential. And I, I want to shift gears in a never summer. It's the reason we're talking. I was out there crewing and taking some photos and there's this woman that started the race really fast. And I was walking with a, a friend and I'm like, Oh, this will be interesting. She either went off way too aggressively or like has just come out of nowhere. So 
how did you find Never Summer? Like, why did you sign up for this race? And I want to hear your preparation going into it. So I signed up for Never Summer after it became clear that Bandera was not going to happen. And I wanted a new goal to look toward as motivation once I got back on my feet to be training for something. And a friend just told me, um, cause I wanted to do another hundred K never summer's really pretty. And I thought, okay. And I looked at the website and I thought it looked like a pretty hardcore, pretty fun mountain race. And I hadn't been to that part of the state before. And I really like doing kind of destination races where I'm part of the experience is going and seeing and running in a new place. So uh, that was just kind of my rationale for signing up. And then I really played it by ear, the preparation for that, because uh, I, so after I got back into running after the winter of the soliciting and skiing, I did a VOT max block and where I was just basically doing like a hill workout once or twice a week. And then my plan had been to go into a tempo, uh, lactate threshold block but then I all of a sudden found myself very burnt out and I went for a run that shouldn't have been that hard and I came home and just felt horrible and I couldn't sleep and the whole rest of the week I was dragging and so I backed way off I backed off my mileage and then when I ramped up again I did zero intensity leading up to Hamas it was all just easy runs um and then I had to take some extended time off after him as cause like my foot was bothering me and I'd never run a 50 miler before. And my body was kind of freaking out. Um, so leading up to never summer, it was just, I just really needed to get in some long runs and um, to feel confident. And uh, I did kind of a combination of flatter stuff and more mountainous. Stuff, especially because the snow was still melting so I couldn't really get into the high country very much at first so I was doing a lot of flatter faster runs and then a few weeks before the race I was doing some more steep climbing at high elevation up near Silverton which I think was good because never summer turned out to be a combination of some flat runnable stuff and some really really steep climbs <laughs> uh but I did, but yeah, the, the buildup never summer was also mostly lower intensity, long run. And that was, it was mostly just kind of fooling around, <laughs> around in the mountains. And so, I mean, did you get a team together? I mean, were there goals that you had set for yourself for never summer? I mean, I got to hear a little bit more of the going into the race. And then I want to hear about day before the race and race morning. Got you. I mean, so my goal, I guess it, it was hard to set a time goal because I'd never seen the course before. I didn't really know what I was capable of, but I, I felt like I'd done well enough at Jemez. It seems realistic to think maybe I could win. Um, but I also knew there'd be a lot of really fast people there. So I was, I was cautious. Um, but I thought I might as well try. I, I did not plan to have anyone else come with me because it was, it was an eight hour drive out there. I didn't want to drag anyone else with me. And I felt like I, I thought, well, what, what I, I, I was planning to finish, you know, 
before nightfall really so i thought well most people have pacers for when they're running into the night and they're losing their minds i I should be fine going by myself and i have my drop bag so i thought i had i had it (laughs) somewhat figured out and i drove out two days before so i'd have a day to recover from the drive and uh i just kind of hung out and watched the 60k finish on friday but um yeah so it was it was very much it was very much um kind of a casual approach and kind of like exploratory what let's see what we can do here and hopefully have some fun exploratory is a good word because that's i mean it's a distance you've never done before it's notorious when it's an honest day's work, regardless of your ability. And at your level, it's crazy. But um, that's a really good way to describe it. I just have never, I've never seen what I saw that day. It was, it was pretty unbelievable. And I've, I only saw parts of it. But please never do a hundred k without crew again. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll drive out to wherever and try to help out. Um, yeah, I definitely, if I'd had a crew, I think would have made some better decisions. You'll, you'll quickly find that you probably have too many people volunteering to help you here, uh, shortly. So, um, I, I asked first, so you, you gotta go with me. Um, <laughs> but so how are you feeling? You're, you're sitting there, you watch 60 K runners come in, um, never summer's not an easy race to sleep at. Like, did you have a tent? Did you get a hotel room? Did you rent a cabin? No, I, I, I just car camped in the, in the parking lot at the start line, um, which honestly was my preferred way to go. Cause that way I could just wake up and the start line was right there. I didn't have to worry about parking. I didn't have to worry about, about the drive there. If I slept through my alarm, I would probably get woken up anyway. <laughs> so, um, that yeah i just i just slept in the parking lot the night before the race in my car and got up and made some coffee and (laughs) um that was were your feet half in the trunk what's that were your feet half in the trunk Uh, no no i have a i have like a an suv i had my good you had my car so uh no pretty comfortable setup uh, hardest thing for that is like, there's nowhere to cook food. Like a lot of us have these routines where like you can make yourself something pretty quick and easy, not have to like clean up and worry about bears or anything. Um, re- so you were able to keep like a semi regular routine there on all your pre-res. Yeah, I still have my camp stove and I just heated up some, I have like a little packet of Indian food that I heated up over my camp stove and my tailgate and um actually well this was really funny I forgot to bring utensils so I ended up just rooting around in my stuff to find something that I could use and I had my snow baskets from my trekking poles <laughs> so I used that as a spoon and I was just sitting there kind of furtively on my tailgate eating with this little plastic thing as a scoop and and I noticed that there was a car like two spaces over from me, this immaculate white Lexus. 
and there's this couple with perfect blonde hair and these cute athleisure outfits and they pull out this clear tote that's perfectly stacked with all of their food inside and and they just have everything set up in this perfect array and I'm just sitting there and all my stuff is strewn all over the place and I'm sweaty from my run that morning and I'm eating food basically with my hands (laughs) and I was like this is such a beautiful contrast (laughs) careful they're probably listening um (laughs) I I'm envious of everyone that's that organized I just normally have a giant bag I've done so many races at this point I just Throw everything in the big bag and we'll find it. Um, that's funny. So you actually ran, you did a shakeout day before the race? I did, yes. Um, just to, I, I really like to do a shakeout on the course just to preview a little bit. So I went out to uh, Ruby Jewel Road and I just did a, a couple of miles out and back over there. Nice. Um, what tempo? What tempo? Just slow. I, I tried to keep it at like the pace I expected to do during the hundred k. I'm having flashbacks to see, to see Matt Daniels before Western States doing all these like track stretches and warm ups and things that I can't even imagine myself being able to like have flexibility to do. Uh, <laughs> so, um, morning of the race. How are you feeling? You get a good night's sleep. I got I got a decent night's sleep. Um and I, I woke up feeling ready to go. It's funny because I'm always afraid the night before a race that I'll somehow sleep in and miss my alarm or um that I'll wake up just feeling so sluggish because the night before the day before I always feel very sluggish. Um but I guess my, my body's kinda learned at this point from running so many races. Like I get all of that out of my system the day before and I tend to wake up feeling feeling ready to go I was very nervous but I felt I felt ready that's I mean that's positive and the start's so chill I mean I probably have a photo or two of you starting did you go to the front of the line or were you in the the middle of that start pack or I went I went toward the front okay and tell me about, I don't know, first 10 miles. It's, I, I don't want to go like mile by mile or anything like that, but there's a serious climb. I mean, were you just on point and tell me how you were feeling, you know, all the way to Lake Agnes? Um, so the first, the first few miles, I definitely took it out easy I I found myself kind of floating along next to these two other women. And, uh, we had, we had a little bit of a, a lighthearted conversation where, you know, the person in the middle finally broke the ice and was like, Hey, what are your names? Where are you from? And, um, hung out with them for a little bit. But then after a couple of miles, I started to think, I feel like I could go ahead and I wouldn't be taxing myself too much. So I just kind of slowly floated on up the hill and, and that was, I definitely started thinking to myself at that point, maybe I'm going out a little too hard. And I thought, oh, they'll probably catch me later. But um, I also didn't, I knew that I needed to run my own race. I think this is something I used to do a lot in college is I used to rely a lot on other people to set the pace. 
And I would end up not having any confidence in my own ability to steer how the race went. So I think something that I've changed since I started doing ultras is I, I think I like to take it out faster because then I feel like I'm in control. Um, That's awesome so to I, hear. And you're floating so up I, a hill is how you described it? Or I mean, not floating. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but I, I kind of, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't doing an all out push to the top because I knew we had a lot left. So I just kind of let myself push that line a little bit to see what would happen. I mean, had you seen Lake Agnes before that? I had not. How stunningly beautiful, right? I mean. Gorgeous. Yes. Uh, for the listener, I will, I'll, I'll send out a photo of her running by uh, at Lake Agnes, where you had a pretty serious look on your face. Honestly, even mile twenty aid station, you you looked like you were like nervous. Um, and the fact that you didn't have crew, all these like people that are actually racing the race, uh, like almost, you know, elite level, all of them have pretty large teams and then you show up and you just go to the aid station. And I think everyone's jaw was kind of like, well, first of all, you came in pretty quick, but then not having crew is just wild to me. I like it, but so wild. That's really funny. Cause I just, I don't know. I just thought the aid stations there. I got everything, everything I need. Low maintenance. Yeah, I mean, if you have a ski scoop or whatever, I mean, you don't even need silverware. You're good. <laughs> um, yeah, the station people were great. They were so helpful. Um, and you know, somebody says, "Do you need ice?" and shoves it down the back of my down the back of my pack. Um, yeah, they were awesome. Were you able to to figure out? if you were running too fast from anyone, because a lot of times crew in terms of like the elites, they're telling you like, all right, this person's like behind you by X amount of minutes or in front of you or kind of helping you gauge that sort of thing. Uh, before you climb diamond, did you have any kind of reference point? I did not. And I was afraid to ask. <laughs> I I don't know why. I just felt, I felt like I couldn't, asked anyone where I was I was almost I had this little thought in the back of my mind like I don't am I allowed to ask where I am um so I just and and part of me felt like it would probably be better if I didn't know because again I really wanted to run my own race and I didn't want to be thinking too much about who was behind me yeah so that was kind of my my thought process there all right so the climb the notorious it's North Diamond, right? North Diamond Peak? Um, yeah. It's a it's a chapter in my book, and it is notorious. Like, the angle just doesn't look right. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> um, tell me about that climb. I mean, are you able to run at all? Um, are you totally gassed after you, you summit? Or just walk the listener uh through that one, because that is... I think that's up there with CCC and some of like the UTMB type climbs or like a hard rock climb. Uh, I mean, I think it, it was definitely a hard 
climb and I definitely wasn't I definitely could have prepared better for that I I I granny gear jogged a little bit up the road but it was definitely once we got to the single track it was 100 percent uh hiking situation and I definitely really wanted it to be over <laughs> by the time I got to the top and and the the summit also kind of disappears behind another rise that's below it so I kept thinking I was almost there and then I'd realize oh no I still have I still have a ways uh so I was yeah I was pretty gassed by the time I got to the top I like that that word (laughs) um did that make you concerned I mean it's mile like 20 of 65 well I figured I would have time to recover on the downhill and I I don't know I think I was more concerned after the downhill because my ankle had been flaring up and was bothering me and on the way down I think I I my favorite thing in trail running is to just fly down the hills as fast as possible and I decided to go for it on that downhill and see how I felt and uh the ankle was not happy (laughs) and I was definitely feeling, feeling pretty tired after that. So that was the point where I started to think to myself, okay, I need to, to chill out a little bit. Um, and I was feeling pretty rough because after, after that climb, we go on, let's see, we go on up to Ruby jewel and then we go from Ruby jewel to clear Lake. And, uh, that stretch, it got really hot. I was stopping at every single stream and splashing water on the back of my neck. And <laughs> um, I was feeling really tired between miles 20 and 40. Um, and I definitely, I, I did at, at one point give myself kind of some space and I was like, okay, let's slow down, eat a gel, take some electrolytes. Um, I actually felt better at mile 40 than I did at mile 20. But um yeah, I definitely, I probably did go out a little too hard those first 20 miles. Uh, so the, the ankle that's hurting, is that from the, the previous injury? Is that the one? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And I'm just trying to think through, like, trying to explain you getting to, like, Ruby Jewel, um, or Clear Lake, I'm sorry. You, you get to you get to Clear Lake and and sort of what's running through your head there because you go and for those that have run it you know you you go through the aid station twice, um, but what what was that interaction like? You're feeling good. It sounds like I think that's right around mile forty. I mean, tell me about yeah, that so- section and then coming down through the aid station again because it's a long stretch. No matter how good it you is are, it is a long stretch, and I think. Um, that was, and that was where I really started to make some mistakes because I felt better. Um, like I said, I felt better at mile 40 than I did at mile 20. So I thought, okay, this is good. And we come into Clear Lake and I know it's going to be a climb, but I also thought this is going to be the last big climb. And then we have a descent afterward. So I figured after this push, I can kind of coast to the finish. And also that climb, I was nervous for that out and back because, like I said, I never had asked how far ahead I was. 
So I was like, okay, this is the moment of truth. On the way back down, I'm going to see how much time I have between me and the other women. Um, and we, and so it takes, and then of course it takes us like 40 minutes to get to the top, <laughs> which I, I knew it was going to be a steep climb, but it was definitely a little bit demoralizing when it took like 40 minutes to do two miles. And, uh, <laughs> and then on the way back down, I lost a little bit of time because my ankle was hurting again. So I was kind of scuffling the downhills a little bit more than I would have liked. But, um, also I'd been going back and forth with this one guy, uh, for most of the race. And every time I passed him or he passed me, give me a fist bump and be like, let's go. So I kind of, I was enjoying that, that camaraderie, but I finally was starting to, uh, to lose him a little bit on the way back down. Um, but then I came through the Clear Lake Aid Station and I had not seen another woman. And I thought, oh, I guess I'm doing pretty well. And wait, wait, wait. wait, this is how, how long of a section is this? This takes like normally like three hours, right? Wait, Clear Lake, it's like four or, miles. It's like four oh, and a half four, miles. Okay, okay. So it okay. took, it took like, it probably took a little over an hour to go both to go out and back both ways. So you, you gap second place by an hour at that point. Yes. At least. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I got the mileage mixed up for some reason. Probably took me three hours to do when I did the race. Um, <laughs> it might have but, been different too. That was a part of the course that they didn't used to have that out and back. Yeah. Um, that had changed and so you're at least four miles ahead are you ratcheting back are you added like do you have so much added confidence that you kind of bomb down into canadian which is mile 50 ish or like what's going on there in your head so i think well that was the point where it would have been smart to ratchet back because that was the point where i came to the aid station and i started to feel lightheaded and uh i thought to myself I have a long way to go, but also I was like, it's basically a weekend long run at this point. I can push through. And also the guy who I've been going back and forth with was just leaving and I wanted to keep up with him. So I just kind of grabbed a fig Newton and chewed it on my way out. And, uh, I didn't stop at that aid station for very long. And I think had I given myself some time at that point to regroup and get some more calories in, uh, and taken even 10 minutes to to reset that that could have really saved my race <laughs> so you're you're talking about mile 50 ish canadian aid station uh, this is a 45 when we came through clear like the second time okay. but um why didn't you I just was- stay there until you saw second place i'm just kidding um <laughs> so you ate a fig newton uh-huh. for that drop down yeah, I I mean I had like a gel and stuff too. That was like my only my only <laughs> food that I had. But um I yeah, at that point I'd probably been taking in about 100 calories per hour, which is probably not enough. Um How many do you think you should have had? Probably at least 150. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what I was doing at Hamas, but A lot of people would say brain- 2 250. <laughs> But I yeah, mean, it's well, different it for each person, but yeah, it depends. I mean, I, I told myself I would go for 200, 
but also I knew I had gone on 150 and felt okay. And like, um, I don't feel like I need that that much, but that's definitely something that I'm still figuring out and that I obviously missed the mark on <laughs> this time. So, so tell us more though, um, getting down to Canadian, is that where you kind of began to bonk? It sounds like. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was bonking, but I, I just kept telling myself it's not that far. You can just keep pushing, just keep pushing. Came through Canadian. Um, and the, the guy who I had been tagging along with uh, picked up his pacer and finally they dropped me. And uh, yeah, that, that was really a slog coming out of Canadian because it's like almost runnable, but not quite. And I kept starting to jog and then walking again. And I kept forcing myself to supple and it kept getting harder and harder. And, and I kept looking at my watch because I really wanted to break 14 hours. And I was like, I'm not going to break 14 hours. I heard and- that was rough cut like rougher than normal because of all the rain for like, oh, really? his, yeah, for historical perspective, um, that was r- like a really rough patch, you know, relative to what it's like historically, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. But anyway, I was, I was struggling on that stretch. I was not going very fast. And um, I was definitely really dragging by the time I came through Bachman, which is the last bullied station. But that's when I thought, okay, I only have eight miles left. I could do this. And um, and then the next stretch to the last eight station just felt so long. And I was feeling more and more and more lightheaded. And I was getting more and more desperate. My, my watch was low on battery, so I couldn't see how many miles I had anymore. Um, so I just kind of was just kept hoping it must be around this corner. Um, just for perspective, because um, Bachman at mile, I don't know, like 56, uh, Sarah got in at 543 p.m., I believe, right? And yeah. Something like that. That sounds right. I, I go back and I look. Second place came in at 7.22 p.m. So you had almost an hour and f- I think it's my math's right. Like an hour and 40 minute lead at that point. Yeah, that sounds right. And you might have um, even been gaining after Bachman. Who knows? Which is just mind blowing. Yeah, I doubt I was gaining after Bachman. I was dragging after Bachman. But um but yeah, basically the way my race ended was I finally just like I felt I got to the top of this climb and I was getting really confused at that point. Um and like there was a trail marker and then there was a down tree and then there were no more trail markers and I thought, Oh my god, am I lost? And um and my chest started feeling all fluttery. I felt like I was going to pass out. And I was like, what if I just pass out on the side of the trail and I'm off course and no one finds me? And all these, you know, worst case scenario thoughts that I was having. Um, and <laughs> I ended up just like sitting down in the middle of the trail until the guy behind me caught up with his pacer. And his pacer was really nice and walked with me to the next aid station which is just two miles from the finish and 
I mean, looking back, I could have walked it in and I would have been fine and I still would have had a decent time, but I was panicking at that point. And, and, you know, like this guy's pacer and the people at the aid station are telling me you can still finish, you'll be okay. And I just wouldn't trust anyone. And I wasn't thinking logically and I was freaking out and I, I called it. Um, and uh, I ended up riding back to the, in a car back to the finish. <laughs> and how, so, how far away were you? I was, so I guess, I mean, when I made the decision in my head that I was going to quit, I was about four miles out from the finish. Um, and then when I officially dropped that from that aid station, it was two miles. So <laughs> looking back, I'm just, oh, of course, my, my, my fully functioning brain now is like, you idiot. <laughs> You but in two, the moment, two my well, <laughs> no, honestly, you know what you needed? You needed a crew to think for you or a pacer to think for you. Um, I guess, I, I mean, yes. What, what you did also, was unbelievable. You needed, you needed a pacer to think for you in that situation, in my opinion. No, but I think, I think it was my responsibility to take care of myself and be prepared for that situation. And I think, I mean, as much as I wish that I had had somebody there to think for me, I also think um, I'm glad that I had that experience where I doubted myself and I thought I was at my limit. And now I know that I wasn't. And I think, uh, I mean, yeah, it hurt. I'm really upset that I didn't finish, but <laughs> I think, uh, I think I did learn from that. And I don't think I ever want to be dependent on somebody else to, to get me to the finish. How, how much time do you think you spend at aid stations where if you had someone like helping out, um, like you probably could have shaved an extra, what, five, 10 minutes off. Um, instead of having to do everything at aid stations throughout I mean, the day? Maybe. I mean, I didn't really do much at aid stations. Yeah. I had my drop bags but I, that had extra gels in them. So and, that alone, yeah. probably a minute here and there, right? I mean, maybe. But it, it was probably just as well that I stopped for a minute. Um, I really didn't spend that much time at any of the aid stations. So. Um, yeah, I guess having a crew might have might have saved me some time, but I think mostly it would have been a matter of of somebody telling me to eat more um or telling me, you know, how much of a lead I had and maybe that I could slow down a little bit. But uh like I said, I don't I don't think it's anyone else's responsibility to make those decisions for me. I, I totally respect that. Trust me. I, I've done a, a 200 mile race without crew or a pacer. Um, and I, I like that. Very impressive. I, I like That's the challenge so of, of having to think logically after not sleeping for three days. Like, cause there is, it's very, very difficult. Um, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> but I also know if, if I'm winning a race, I, I think if all the competition has crew or pacers or whatever, whatever, I want to at least measure myself like on a fair kind of 
relative uh, perspective, but um, I think you had a heck of a race and you were very coherent afterwards. Uh, there's probably a lot of time for you to rest in between. You when I quit, I was, I was <laughs> blathering about all kinds of random things. I had no filter. I was, <laughs> I was not functioning. <laughs> Nick's like, yeah, you're not invited back next year. <laughs> um, you were very coherent when I talked to you and I, I went up to you and was like, Oh, like, congrats. Like, uh, I, I assume you ended up winning and then you're like, no. And I was, my jaw hit the ground. Um, so I, I still think what you would have probably run around a 14 hour race. Do you think absolute worst case, like 14 and a half hours, if you had, eaten a gel and ran two miles <laughs> yeah yeah so that's a top 10 finish time uh like for the history of the race claire in 18 ran a a 14 11 um sabrina was 13 46 and i don't have to say these people's last names because the sport knows them that well like an addy Addie Bracey. Um, so I, I think this was a breakthrough performance that you just had. And with a few minor changes, sky's the limit for you as long as you don't burn yourself out. So <laughs> I think of all the performances I saw that day, there's probably a lot of really inspiring ones that I missed. I think your story is the one I want to share with the world. And if I was a sponsor right now, I would be calling you and signing you because I think the next five years, if you're smart and don't do every single race, cause you'll get comp, you'll get comped entries for anything going forward. Um, you have a really bright future if you're smart about this. Well, thank you. Well, we'll see. But I think, yeah, I think my goal is to just keep it fun because that's going to be, I think, the determining factor of how long I can stay in this. And, uh, yeah, I'll see, see where that takes me. I mean, tell me, and I know we've, I appreciate all your time here, um, what are your thoughts on the future of, of your races? Like, have you, have you signed up for a race already? Do you have any kind of goals? Are you, are you going to do the same thing you did last year where you kind of cruise into the year without like another big race and then save, save some for next year or, or tell me more about plans in the future. And I love your perspective. Keeping it fun is everything. My saying is enjoy your training. Like that is my, big thing <laughs> yes absolutely and i think i mean there's so many amazing races in the san juan and i love running out here so i think i'm gonna want to do a lot of local races uh i've been thinking about doing san juan solstice which is a 50 miler um i also i i really have my eye on high lonesome that seems like a really cool 
cool race. And I do want to do a hundred miler sometime in the near future. So my, my plan for uh, the rest of this year is I signed up for the Salt Lake 5050, which is uh back to back 50 milers in uh, Nathrop. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Nathrop, Nathrop <laughs> yeah. or, and uh, in Buena Vista. And uh, that's a qualifier for high lonesome. So I'll see how that goes. And if I can get in and uh, um, if that doesn't happen, then maybe the bear just, yeah, I really want to stick to mountain races and I'm, I'm really enjoying the long, long distances to see, see where I can go with that. I think it's awesome. Um, so I could talk to you for another hour or two. Can you just, uh, just stay in touch? I want to keep the listener, you know, in, you know, up to date with what's going on with your training, share, share a few running photos on your Instagram and whatever. And, um, We'll try to support you as much as possible. So, again, if I was a sponsor, I'd be signing you right now. I, I think your future's really bright. And, uh, yeah, thank you for taking so much time. We'll we'll have you back on for another episode here soon. So, please stay in touch. And, yeah, thanks for thanks for taking all your time. Thank you. This just means a lot. Uh, thank you for being interested and. Yeah, I think it was, it's really fun to share a kind of a not success story. It's awesome. You, your race was awesome. Two miles, <laughs> two miles. So keep your head up. You, anytime you're about two hours in front with the first place uh, female position, uh, and you end up dropping with two miles to go. Uh, you could almost have crawled back to the finish and, <laughs> and won. So uh, I, I see it as a a breakthrough with a little bit of a breakdown, but with so much potential in the future. And I'd put my money on you. So thanks again. Well, thank you, Rob. I really appreciate your support. And that was the episode. Big thank you to Sarah House for taking her time. Excited to have kind of the exclusive first interview ever of her. And again, I think uh, she has some big things coming. So follow her on Instagram, Sarah House Runs. And thank you to Tannery Outdoors, Exoskin. Don't forget to enjoy your training. I'll see you here soon with another podcast. Thanks. Thanks.